This is a Triple J podcast. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, as you can hear in our voices, <laughs> we're a bit cooked from Splendor. Uh, we worked it all weekend. We just flew in last night. Yeah, it's been an absolute time. But um, yeah, we just can't hide the fact that we are sounding horsey and sexy. So the podcast today is going to be less of us. Yeah. And more of our guest, sexologist Lauren French, who is going to help answer all your questions. Yeah, we get so many DMs from you. Like, so, so, so many. We're really sorry if we don't get around to them. I think Pip said this last episode. We try. There's just a lot, a lot happening. A lot of DMs that we're getting through. But don't worry, we read them all. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we do get a lot of questions from you and, you know, a lot of, like, really personal issues from your sex life. And like I said, we can't answer them all, um, especially if we've already done an episode maybe like a couple of months ago or a year ago, whatever. So we thought, why not do an AMA episode with Lauren French, um, a bit of an ask us anything and knock out a bunch of these questions all in one go. Yeah, we've got a mix of voice memos, some callers, and you might be listening right now and thinking, well, why do I care about other people's questions? Let me tell you, so many of them, I can guarantee are really relatable and might be something that you need help with too or even just curious about. Yeah, fully. Like throughout this whole episode, like we were both like, oh my God, we do this. Like I have a friend who's got this, yada, yada, yada. So stick around because we are going to be answering some questions like why we close our eyes during sex or why come might make you feel sick. Yeah. And of course, there's always a question about squirting. So we're going to answer it for you. Also, we got Lauren into the studio and the chat went for so long. Um, it was like light when we started and then like a couple of hours later, it was like pitch black outside. <laughs> um, so we are going to separate this into two parts. We're going to give you one part of it today and then the next on Tuesday. Yeah. So if you submitted a question, and you're like, how come you didn't answer it? Don't worry. It's coming. All right. So let's get into it. And you can enjoy our voices sounding normal again because we did record this just before Splendor. We've got a DM from Kate. So my question is, why is it when having sex, it feels so much more comfortable to have my eyes closed? I've always liked the idea of having my eyes open and watching the sexiness, but it almost feels too intense, too intimate, almost like I get a little shy. Mm. I think so many people can relate to this, but I do love uh, just instantly the idea of during sexing, just like the widest eye open, just like staring at your partner kind of vibe. Um, Obviously, when you're really overcome with sensations, it's really easy to have an eyes closed moment and kind of it means that you can check in with what your body's feeling more than what you're seeing because obviously what you're seeing that kind of sends different signals in the brain. Um, However, I love the idea of someone wanting to keep their eyes open or wanting to really engage with the visual component of their sensuality and what they're seeing. And my kind of tip to starting that would be try when you're masturbating. So like keep your eyes open, masturbate either like maybe not fully in front of a mirror that's quite confronting for people because it's very intimate with yourself and can be, you know, it's a lot of like you staring at your own body. But if you have a mirror and you're just even just looking at kind of like genital area or like a certain part of your body and kind of trying to do a little bit of eye open, you know, with that and even simple things of like trying to keep your eyes open when you're orgasming is a real kind of test of, I don't want to say strength, but like different kind of muscles you're probably not used to using. So trying that on your own before with doing it with a partner, it's probably an easier stepping stone if you want some really intense eye contact. 
Do you open your eyes during sex? I was just thinking the whole time Lauren was talking, I was like, I think I have moments where I do because I like visual, like I like looking at what's happening. Yeah. But if we clock eyes, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way where I'm holding that contact. You're not doing Shut like down. eye contact, breathing in no, sync. Absolutely not. I'm moving as soon as we as soon as we clock. <laughs> Straight away. I'm I, looking elsewhere. I'm closing incredible. the eye. Nah, I agree. I'm no way. Probably can give you about two seconds of eye to eye contact and then, and I'm, then it's I'm too going much. Back. I'm looking away. Yeah, that's fascinating. And obviously, like, eye contact's not for everyone. And even in, like, day-to-day, like, demanding eye contact from people is, you know, not the thing to do. But if, you know, you're with someone who, you know, I'm just picturing some partners who ask for eye contact yeah. or like yeah. ask like watch me like look at me like doing because it's it's a turn on for them totally. yes having yes. that clear dialogue of like I, I love that this is a turn on for you but I cannot look at you in the eye during sex without bursting into laughter <laughs> yeah okay let's take this uh question from Jess Hi, Lauren. I'm just wishing for your help regarding an issue I have with cum. So since I've become sexually active, I'm unable to handle cum. Even talking about it now makes me feel sick. I'm unable to give people oral or even have cum on me without vomiting. It's really put a downer on my sex life and has made me create some very strong barriers and boundaries and really I'm unable to experiment and hit those desires that I have because of this issue. I've tried to watch different pornos and cum shots and other things to learn and try to adapt to it but nothing seems to help. I haven't come across anyone else that has this issue with cum so I feel really isolated and I'm not sure what to do anymore. Okay, so we actually have Lou on the line as well because you experienced a similar thing. What did you think about what Jess had to say, Lou? Yeah, I um, I definitely had some like similarities to how she feels. Like I've never really told anyone because I've been too embarrassed to like tell people what it's like, and it's been like pretty difficult in relationships and stuff as well. Like trying to set boundaries, but like them being disappointed and like all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's sort of what I've struggled with the most. Yeah, Lou, and and to Jess as well, like this is much more common than people think. I have worked with multiple people in private practice and clinic who have the exact same thing where the idea of whether it's cum, whether it's bodily fluids, whether it's just any kind of sexual fluid is just kind of repulsive, really big aversion. And it is a huge hit to our sensuality and like how erotic we can be with ourselves and others. But I I just want to make it clear. It's not actually a rare thing. It can feel really isolating when you're not seeing it in like porn. And you may, when you talk to your friends, it's not something that's shared, but like it is something that people have experienced across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And when we kind of talk about unpacking that, I mean, I, I completely understand where the brain goes to of wanting to almost like, kind of do that you know what they do with like when people are scared of spiders and they just like slowly he's a spider and he's two spiders and he's like 12 million spiders and wanting to kind of get a lot of experience with the thing that we don't like I'm not going to say that's necessarily the best angle to do with this kind of an aversion because you know what we would do and I would when we have this kind of aversion a sexual aversion I would definitely recommend talking to a professional in the space whether it's a sexologist or a sexological body worker whether it's a psychologist or someone who specializes in this space because we actually really want to get to the heart of what is causing us to feel so 
physically uncomfortable with something that's really natural and normal in the body. And it's really interesting because, you know, you really want to unpack the difference between the kind of mental arousal and the physical like vomit inducing grossness because there's a real fine line usually there and I can't tell you exactly what you find when you unpack it because everyone's really different and it can come from really different places but I would really recommend if you have this kind of aversion reaching out and kind of making the time to work through it because there is stuff that we can do and work through with it. Lou, just quickly, in your message to us, you said that you never used to feel this way. Was there a pivotal moment where things changed? Yeah, um, I actually used to like really love the feeling and I used to like really enjoy um, the whole sort of thing. Um, but then I, my partner started smoking. Um, mm. It actually changed and I think that turned me off a lot. Um and then, like, ever since just, like, seeing it or anything just, like, makes me gag. I haven't actually vomited before, but it, like, just makes me gag and, yeah. yeah. I'm really curious. I, I'm not going to go full therapy mode and all the things, <laughs> but, like, how do you feel about smoking in general? Um, I don't um, – oh, look, I don't – I'm not, like, fully against it, but I don't – I wouldn't prefer – I'd prefer for my partner to not smoke. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, again, I'm not going full in all the spaces, but it's really interesting because obviously things like smoking, you know, diet, all this sort of stuff has an effect on the taste and even yeah. sometimes, you know, the consistency of what come and how it can feel and taste and all those sort of things. But yeah. also if there's been a change and that change is kind of influenced by something that we might have a strong value hold on, yeah. whether it's with our partner or with the environment or, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who – you know, their partners have had like health stuff, whether it's like things that they're not doing that they should be with their health or they've like done things that their partner goes, oh, well, like I view that as you kind of, you know, putting yourself last and putting our relationship last. And it's amazing how quickly those little things that aren't even forefront of our brain can have a huge effect on libido and on sex drive and how much we can stomach, you know, come. Mm. Mm. Have you spoken, Lou, just quickly to your partner about this um that was actually my ex-partner like a while ago but yeah yeah, so I was with someone else after this and I was still too scared to really have anything to do with it yeah which is also super super normal to have that kind of change and that to kind of affect continual partners because you know our brain you know one of its whole purposes is to help protect us and if it has decided oh come is this thing that's gross and it makes us want to vomit and we're not into it even with its one partner for the next time it happens your brain is going to go but what if it happened again so let's just like be on the safe side not do it aversion not not into it yeah 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 because he was like getting to a point where he was really offended and I was like oh I just don't know Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it was annoying. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It is no. always an awful one. Our sex life has a real pivot change moment. But, yeah, I would anyone who's dealing with a similar thing or that kind of an aversion, particularly if it wasn't there and now it is, really recommend reaching out and kind of having a space for you to have some one-on-one therapy that isn't on radio with yeah. me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah thank you. Yeah, Lou, Thanks. thank you Thanks so, so much. much. Thanks, Lou. Great question and great answer, Lauren. I feel like... It, you know what? Sometimes it can only take one bad cum shot for you to change your yeah. mind about it too. Like I feel like I've had that once with somebody and it was really random and luckily it didn't taste different the next time. But mm. I was like, oh, 
oh, like it, it's a it's a shock to the body. Yeah, and I've had <laughs> talked to similar. I have had similar conversations with people who've done the, they've kind of really deep throated and had a choking moment. Mm. And anytime now they've gone to give head or, you know, have something go deep in their throat, they have that, oh, nah, like pulling back. I can't even, even though before they were totally fine because they've had one moment of, oh no, you know, our brain's really quick at connecting those two dots. It's like when you burn your hand on the mm. stove, like your brain remembers, you know, and mm. you're like, oh, that's dangerous. Or that time you choked on a tiny bit of steak at the restaurant and everyone oh. was looking at you and you're like, I can't breathe. That <laughs> trauma. Never yeah. eating steak again. Yeah. There or deep throating dick, apparently. That but. wasn't my story, by the way. Oh, um, my God. Just, just in case you were I was wondering. like, baby, you're okay. We didn't talk about this. <laughs> okay, Jamie, I feel like this question is – we have a whole episode on this as well, but let's hear from Jamie. Hi, Lauren. I'd just like to know what would be the easiest way to make your woman squirt. I'm going to be that annoying person because I know that there's lots of conversation and, and things out there of like how to squirt and how to make your partner squirt and how to make – and it's always about making someone squirt and I'm going to be the annoying person that says, does the person want to squirt? Is this a conversation you've had? Is this something you're going in to be like a – like not cynically but a notch in my belt of – yes, I've made a woman squirt so I'm amazing and, like, I did the, you know, I did the finger action and it's, you know, oh, mm. I'm a god. Because also, like, if you're wanting to make someone squirt who has never squirted before and isn't actually sure how they feel about it and then, you know, because it can be a similar sensation to, like, peeing and, like, they can have a lot of shame around that and there can be a lot of, you know, like, there's just so much about it other than just the kind of, you know, award of I made someone squirt, yay. Like, squirting is not the be-all and end-all of good sex. It is not, like, even a sign of particularly amazing sex as much as people think it is. Like, and there are people who can squirt but have but have no interest in it also. so like, Also, like, come out of nowhere and you're like, I wasn't even enjoying that. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, like, yeah. where did this come from? Because it's not a sign of good sex. Do you know no. what I mean? No. And I think it is that thing of if you, if you have that idea of, you know, I need to make someone squirt, mm, let's reframe. Love that. Love that. There you go. Heard it here first with Lauren. <laughs> so on the line with us right now is a caller. Amy, tell us what's your question for Lauren. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, Lauren. I had a question about um, the honeymoon phase and sort of the passion in my relationship has sort of been struggling a bit lately. And mm. I think it's sort of been driven by um, sort of my partner going through a bit of a grief stage with after the passing of his father and just wondering how to sort of get that passion and romance back in the relationship. Yeah. Wow. Thanks so much, Amy. And so sorry that your partner's been going through that. Can I ask how long ago um, their father passed? Yeah, so uh, he passed away about nine months ago in October last year. Yeah, okay. So definitely still a pretty recent thing and that they're going through and experiencing. Um, a couple of points. So obviously it's really normal, and we'll talk about it this way because this is obviously an abrupt kind of change, but it is really normal for that kind of what people call the honeymoon phase or that like initial phase in relationships to change. And when you're with a person long-term, short-term, like, you will have different phases of kind of sexual being with each other, libido, eroticism, all of this sort of stuff. Like it is normal for that to have ebbs and flows and to kind of, you know, reflect what's happening in life. And obviously when there's that abrupt change and there's like a huge, you know, 
loss in our life that doesn't only have an emotional impact on us but also probably has a you know effect on how we view mortality and like our own mortality and you know death becomes really forefront and to be really clear death is not a sexy um thing to be going through nor to have in our brain and so it's really normal to have a really big impact on our libido and sex drive and intimacy with partners So really, really normal space for you to be sitting in, Amy. Um, When we talk about kind of getting back to a space of honeymoon phase or like getting back to intimacy, I think it's great to think about how to create new intimacy with our partner post this. My only preface is I'd, I'd watch our language around going back to honeymoon phase or like getting our intimacy back the way it was because just like everything, it's really impossible to go back in time and we want to be thinking about how we create something that is new with our person who has gone through a huge life change and probably isn't the same person they were previous to their father's passing. So we really want to think about, okay, what does intimacy and what are their intimate needs look like at this point in their life or at this point, you know, in their grieving process as well? Because, you know, you know, even simply asking that kind of question of like, what intimacy do you feel like you're needing right now? And, you know, creating a space where you, Amy, can also say, this is the kind of intimacy I'm really craving as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think um, definitely the reflecting on the going back thing, like that's something that I I know that I do do. I do really compare like what things are like now to what they used to be. Mm. And I'm trying really hard to work through that. Uh, fortunately, also I'm in therapy, which is helping. But um, oh, love that. Yeah, I think um, trying to trying to focus on that and shifting to like what things look like now is going to be really important for us. Yeah, and it again, super normal human thing to go, oh, that thing we used to do or that thing a year ago or like that's where we want to get back to. But yeah, reframing that and going, you know, what do you want long term? What do you want in your future? What do you want next? And really trying to paint the picture because – you know, there's an element here of just saying even I want it like it was, but what was it like when it was? What does that mean? Like, was it because there was more passion, more, you know, spontaneity? Was it because there was more, you know, dirty talk, intimacy, you know, like whatever it was, what was it that we want to have again? And how do we word it in a way of I'd really love us to try this more. I'd love us to insert this in our relationship more. I'd like us to work on this. And, you know, my tip that I've said uh, here a lot, which which is have that conversation outside of a bedroom or place that you usually have sex because that's a little bit too high stakes. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Now, we've had lots of um, sort of conversations about it. Like it's been a bit of a topic um, for the last sort of few months. I think I was potentially a bit unprepared for like how intense mm. the grief stage would be. Like, of course, um, his his father was diagnosed with, with terminal cancer, so we didn't know that he was unwell and that he was going to pass. So mm. it wasn't a shock. Um, and so I was able, we were both able to sort of prepare for that in a way, but I guess that I definitely underestimated like how ongoing, like the impact of that was going to be. Yeah. And, you know, grief is, grief like trauma, like anything that we kind of go through, there's no end point. There's not an end date. There's a point where, you know, people say we get back to normal. We get, you know, we move on, we kind of, you know, move forward, but it really is just a working out how it works for you today, tomorrow, the next day, and not putting an expectation of an end point or that they're at some point going to be back to like normal or that they're going to be over it or they're going to be fine. But in a spate of, okay, you're now like, they're now a person whose parent has died. Like that's that they will be that person forever. So, okay, what does that look like for them moving forward? And, you know, open communication, giving them as much you know, softness and kindness as we can. While also, Amy, you're allowed to say, this is my needs in a space. And, you know, 
how can we work together so that we're both comfortable and happy and, you know, meeting each other. Yeah, perfect. I think that's going to help so much. Oh, Amy, thank it you so like much. It sounds like you're in a good place with yeah. it. Like, yeah. I feel like you're doing all the right things. Yeah, therapy. <laughs> I feel like as soon as you said therapy, I was like, I was oh, like, she's, she's What a green it. flag. Yeah, that's such a green flag. And the fact that you guys are talking about it as yeah. well is so huge. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. Like, it's been really tough and it's really put, like, the relationship under pressure. And it was a relatively yeah. new relationship too. Like, we only oh. met um, about a year and a half ago. So this is kind of this kind of the midway point from now as this has sort of all gone flipped on its head. So I guess we hadn't even really gotten too deep mm. um, into the relationship. So it's kind of a bit of a thinking on our feet. It's been definitely a stress test for the relationship. but Has it brought you close together? It definitely has, yeah. He, um, like, I was kind of a bit over my head with like how to support someone through that but um he's been really appreciative of um the support I have been able to offer so at least um I have been helping apparently which is really good so yeah amazing and and always know there's no one right way there's no one right way to deal with grief or to help a partner who is going through that like you do the best you can with the person you're with that's it I'm just we're all both we're both just doing our best we like to tell each other that all the time we're both trying our best so Oh, I love that. You sound like such a beautiful couple. Amy, thank you so much for calling in. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all your advice. Okay, so Jace got in touch because he's got a question about his dick getting really sensitive when he does cowgirl. Yeah, so it just gets really sensitive when someone's riding me and then they start to sort of grind so that the hips are moving back and forth sort of thing not really hurts more of a sensitive thing it's like you know i sort of have to grab their body abruptly and just you know tell them to either ride me or i'll sort of take over a bit but it's it's a pretty frustrating issue because like cowgirls are probably my favorite position so you know to say that uh, to some girl that this is a bit sensitive for me you can tell there's a bit of a letdown for them and obviously for me but um yeah, I guess my question is, is there anything I can sort of do to prevent that for future experiences and situations? Because I'm not really sure what there is, like, as far as options and variety. Uh, do I go to, like, a sex coach or what do I do? I'm not sure, but any help is good help, I reckon, so. Okay, Lauren, what tips, what advice do you have for Jace? Well, firstly, I love the... Um, confidence of, of kind of asking should I see a sex coach or like what are the options these sort of things I would first say like we need to set up expectations really clearly if you know going into an experience with a casual partner or like a long-term partner if you know there's a position that is uncomfortable or sensitive or for for whatever reason is it maybe doable always set that out really clearly because it's much easier to have that conversation at the beginning of a sexual encounter of hey I really love cowgirl but not into the grinding because it like, gets just a little bit too sensitive. So really love it if it was more of like an up-down riding motion. And you set that out instead of having to abruptly stop everything and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Not to use like a cowgirl reference, but um, but to do that, and it's much easier to kind of set up that expectation, is my first point. Because if we're stopping every time, that just kind of fuels a little bit of the stigma and you know bad feelings that can happen when you have to stop and go, oh, this isn't working. While if we set it up at the beginning, much easier. I mean, obviously I have some questions that are a little bit tricky and probably things that uh, 
Joe should probably work out with a doctor, which is things around sensitivity and other sexual positions. Um, obviously was saying that it wasn't like sore and painful, but was sensitive and I'm assuming not particularly pleasant if we're wanting to stop it. So needing to check in, does that sensation happen at other points during sex or, or just generally with your penis? Uh, does it happen when you're wearing a condom or without? Have you ever tried a cock ring around like uh, blood flow in the penis? Does that affect the sensation as well? Because I would try those things and then, because if it's literally just that one position, you know, having a conversation with a doctor, a check-in, it might be a nerve pinchy thing, but I'm also not a urologist and penis expert, as much as that is a fun title. Uh, so I would kind of want to get those things checked out before we jump into some like home remedy stuff. I love that. Mm. They're getting like a control group situation. Yeah. So they're getting the control and then doing all the variables. Really yeah. great advice. Thank you, Lauren. Oh, I love that so much. How good is Lauren? I know. Obsessed with you, Lauren. She is just such a wealth of knowledge and it was honestly just such a pleasure having her in the studio for over an hour. So thank you so much to everyone who submitted a question as well. They were great. Yeah, and if you didn't hear yours being answered or maybe you have a question listing and you're like, oh, that wasn't answered, um, it'll be in part two. That's going to come out next week. And also, if you feel so inclined, we would love to get a rating and review of our podcast wherever you listen to it or just send us some feedback through the DMs at Triple J, The Hookup. All right. Catch you next week. Bye.